Uh, so appreciate Tania doing that video. I disagree with one part. She said we were normal, all right? <laughs> Talking about right? And she meant it as a compliment, but uh, we're nothing is normal. Y'all look incredible. Happy Easter. Um, we just don't know. We want you to see that because that was a year ago that they came in person for the first time. We just have no idea what God might be up to today, how different your life could look in relation to our church, in relation to God one year from now. And, and Raph mentioned our next steps. I want to be real clear because we'd love for you to take a step today. Your first step in our church, the first thing you do if you make a step towards Relentless is to fill out a connect card. And then, and then a first step after that is to come to Welcome to Relentless. So please sign up. That's a week from Tuesday. It's a big night for us. Everybody's um, invited to that. Um, and I love that she talked about our movement because we're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. Right? We're moving. Um, and the gospel is the center because the gospel is where the power is. We saw that a couple weeks ago. We'll see that again today. We, we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. I don't have the ability to change your life. Right? God does. He knows what you're bringing into the room this Easter. He knows all that, you, he could, that there is to know about you. And there's so much power. We preached the gospel two weeks ago. And we preached on baptism. And we invited you to take a step if you're ready to commit to Jesus and be baptized this Easter Sunday. Um, and I want you to know a little bit of the story of what you're going to see at the end of this service. Um, there are six individuals that we're going to baptize at the end of this service. All, yeah, six. That's a big number. And their story is in pretty incredible. The, the Kaiser family over here to my left, your right. Um, just a heartbreaking uh, story. Uh, Jeff Kaiser uh, was a part of Relentless, great man. I met him years ago through basketball. Um, and he uh, unfortunately passed away early in the pandemic, May of 2020. A young man and left wife and, and kids. Um, and uh, it's just a really, I just remember that, that funeral in this room. We were social distancing. My heart just broke for that family and all that they were walking through and have been walking through. And it was really hard for them to come back to church because this room represented that funeral and, and that, that just whole is really, so, so they, um, it just was hard. Um, they came back to church for the first time in person last Easter, a year ago. And in these years, um, almost three years, God's been working in that family. Um, so when I preached the gospel a couple weeks ago and asked if you weren't ready to commit your life to Jesus and raise your hand in that hole, they always sit on the side row. That's their spot. Uh, I saw all those hands go up. I was so encouraged and excited to see and then to talk to them later and see that, that uh, Jeff's three boys, uh, Jeffrey, Jamont, and Jehaden, and then um, their cousins, um, Tiana and Honesty and uh, uh, Jeff's wife, Keisha, are all going to get baptized today at the end of this service. So. And, we, and we got two or three more that are going to be baptized second service. That's all we know of, right? You may be seven in this service. I don't know what God's about to do. Be open to what he might be doing in, in you. And, it's, and the power is in the resurrection. I love uh, this quote on the screen about you know, people get it twisted about where the church of Jesus came from, if you'll put that quote up. The resurrection was not created by the church. Rather, the church was created by the resurrection. All right? Here's what I want to ask you this, this Easter morning. Without the resurrection, what do we got? Right? So if Jesus came, that's what a lot of people believe. Jesus came. He taught some great stuff. He did some really great miracles. He loved people well. He did this great life. And then he died on a cross. And that was it. 
and he died like everybody else and stayed dead like everybody else, what do we got? We still got a good life, right? We still got like, you know, a, a pretty cool savior who did some cool stuff and said some cool stuff, right? Wrong. You know what we got? If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if you're a Christian in the room, you know what we got if he didn't raise from the dead? We got nothing. We got nothing. Now, we don't have like some good, we got some encouragement. No, we got no hope. We got absolutely nothing. Everything about what we are is built on the resurrection. We talk about centered on the gospel. Without resurrection, there is no gospel. So we're going to look at this beautiful text that Paul, a guy named Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Um, and he breaks down the gospel. Gospel-centered, if we're a gospel-centered church, it's really important that we all understand what we mean when we say that word gospel. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. That's us, Relentless. We stand on this. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. What's the most important? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, comma, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. All right, next. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I, am, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. All right, so he boils down the gospel to this. Christ died, right? I think we were missing a verse there. Christ was buried, Christ rose, and then Christ appeared. That is the gospel of first importance that the church of Jesus has been built on for 2,000 years across continents, across languages, rich, poor, north, south, east, west. Globally, this movement is built on uh, Jesus coming to to earth. He was um, born. He was fully God. He died he was buried, he rose, and then he appeared to all these people. And then it mentions here that he appeared, Paul specifically says he was appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and the 12. That seems redundant. Peter was one of the 12. Why did, he, why did, why did Paul say that Jesus appeared to Cephas and the 12? He was one of the 12. That doesn't make sense. He called out specifically Peter because what we are doing today and continuing today is built on grace. Right, so if you know Peter, if you've been in our, we've been in a reading plan uh, as a church this last week. Like he messed it up for, and, and it was recorded for all of history. This is this is the guy who was the most likely to speak first before he thought. And when Jesus said, "They're going to take me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to kill me," Peter's like, "No, that ain't happening. I will fight. I will die with you and for you." He was so sure of himself. Right then, when they took Jesus, Peter expected him to fight back. When he saw that Jesus appeared powerless, that he was taking this false trial, he was taking the beating and the mocking, and he wasn't doing anything to protect himself. When it hit Peter, I think they're actually going to kill him. Right? He got scared, and they came out to Peter, who was waiting in the courtyard, say, hey, "Aren't you one of his? Aren't you with Jesus?" And Peter's like, "No." Then they asked him a few minutes later, "No, you're you're one of his." No, I'm not. The third time they come out, he's like, "This guy's one of his. You talk like him, right? Your accent gives you away." And it says Peter called down curses. He got real explicit and let everybody know, "I'm not with Jesus. I don't know him." That was his shining moment, right, to stand up for Jesus, and he completely denied him, just like Jesus predicted that he would. And then he. He realizes what he done. He goes and he weeps bitterly and he's just so broken. And that's his last. He's not at the cross. He's too scared to be there at the cross. 
So he's hiding somewhere, and, he does, and that's, that's how he kind of ends his relationship with Jesus before the crucifixion, before he dies. And then it says, when Jesus came back to life, he didn't just appear to the 12, he sought out Peter, right? So I don't know what you've done, if maybe you've blown it, right? I don't think you've blown it like, like Peter did, publicly in the pages of scripture for all time, one of his key guys completely disowned him in this moment, right? And then he mentions himself, Paul says, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And he's being pretty kind to himself by saying it that way. All right, what did he do? What does he mean? What, what he, maybe he's like some of you. Uh, he wasn't sure, he, he, he wasn't convinced that Jesus was the son of God. Paul thought that this movement, it was called the way originally, now we call it Christianity. He thought that movement was a, was a fraud. He's like, there's nobody that rose from the dead. I don't believe that. God didn't, that, that man was not the son of God. The Messiah has not yet come. And if you're saying that he was the son of God, that's offensive to God. So as a follower of God, I'm going to destroy this movement. So he tried to destroy Christianity. So he would find people that believed it and were preaching it and he would arrest them. And sometimes he would do more than arrest them. Sometimes he would be part of their murder, right? He would take the people of God and there's instances where he was there as they were executed because they were, wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. I don't know what you're bringing to the room today. I bet you've never explicitly disowned Jesus like Peter and I'm pretty sure you haven't tried to destroy Christianity by killing Christians. If you have... We're glad you're here, right? But those two things are specifically mentioned in this text of the gospel because it's always built on grace. That's so fun for me to get to stand up because I don't know what's in the room. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what you did 10 years ago, but I know God's grace is big enough for you and for whatever you are and wherever you've been. Why? Because God loves the long shot, right? We're a church, as Tania uh, hit on in the video, we're a church full of long shots, right? Maybe you're a long shot even to be here today. Maybe your baptism would be like the odds in Vegas of you getting baptized today, like it's a, it's a big odds. God loves that. He, he works in that. And a lot of us, uh, including this guy on the stage, the odds that we would be where we are following Jesus today, right? God has done so much. He's moved mountains. He's made a way like we sang. And we're full of that row after row. There's long shot after long shot in this church. So you fit right in. You might be asking, I hope maybe, how do I get that grace? That grace that Paul or Peter, Cephas, how, 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 how do you get that? It's faith, not performance, right? We've got to undo what some of you were brought up with. It's not performing for God to get his, his approval, his goodness, his grace. You don't get grace by your performance. You get grace by your faith. We like to say some phrases over and over again here, drive it into your heads. Maybe you get sick of it. I don't know. We say relationship is better than religion. And transformation is greater than transaction, right? Religion is performance. Religion is transaction. Hey, God, if I'll quit doing this, will you do this for me? Or if I'll do this, or if I go to church, we transaction, I'll do this and you take care of me. No, he doesn't, he's not into that. What he's into is changing our lives, transformation. He's through a relationship. That faith is the beginning of that relationship. It's like Raph talked about. It's trusting in him. It's not performance. It's religion. And here, here's the problem. This is a big reason we started this church eight and a half years ago, because of this idea I'm about to tell you. Um, and I've practiced this, and you may disagree, but I believe it's true with all my heart. That if you, it's, our, it's a cultural thing, right? Some people think, you know, that because we say in God we trust on our dollar bills that we're a Christian nation, we're far from it. In fact, the number one answer to the most important question in our country is a very anti-gospel answer. If you go to anywhere in our country and you ask, hey, 
If you, let's assume there is a God and there is a heaven, how do you get there? And you can go to Sacramento, California, you can go to Raleigh, North Carolina, you can go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, you can go to San Antonio, Texas, Indianapolis, Indiana, cover all, Boston, Massachusetts, Miami, Florida. You can go all those and you can sample a thousand people. If there is a God and a heaven, how would someone get there? You know what the number one answer in every single one of those places will be? Some version of be good. Try the best I can to be a nice person, to be good to others, to be kind. That's the number one answer. That answer is so offensive to the gospel. It's so offensive to the cross. It's so offensive to Jesus. Because if you can good your way to God, then Jesus is saying, well, why did I do that? Why did I go to the cross if you can good good your way to him on your own? You didn't need me, right? You're mocking the cross if you think your goodness is gonna get you anywhere towards God, right? If we can good our way to God, then we don't have a need for Jesus, that's why he came, right? It's, it's performance versus faith, right? So faith is Jesus, performance is being better. Some of you grew up with that, right? And you need to be honest with yourself because it's still in you. What you were sold was a, a gospel or a, or a theology of, hey, just be better and God will be pleased with you. Just, just be better, just stop doing that. Just start doing this. Whatever, how much you're reading the Bible, how much you're going to church, how much you're sinning, do less sinning and more of the good stuff, just be better, right? And how better do you have to be? Well, according to the true gospel, you have to be perfect. That, that's the only good that matters. And anything short of that is not enough. And none of us are perfect. So, so what, do you, what do you want to live? You want to live with faith in Jesus or you want to live just, I'm just going to try to be better, right? There's misery in just being better, right? Because we never can be good enough on our own. That's why Jesus came, because he loved us so much. He knew that our best effort at better would fall short. So he's like, I'm going to come and fill that gap for you. I'm going to be perfect on your behalf. That's how much he, he loved us. I give a phrase to our, uh, our bat, my basketball team, my varsity girls team that I coach. Every year we have an acronym or a phrase that we just repeat over and over, and it's kind of our theme for the year. And this year, our theme was fearless, not flawless, Right? And I knew they needed that because some of these girls are so perfectionist and they just try to, they think they're going to play the perfect game and they can hit three shots in a row and they're like, they have the no reaction, like there's no celebration, but then they make a bad play and they're just face like where, like they just did the worst thing ever, right? And it's like, no, you're not going to play a perfect game. Nobody plays well tense, right? We're not trying to, you're not going to be flawless. So let that go. But I'm not asking you to be flawless. I'm not going to get mad when you mess up, right? What I'm going to get mad is when you play scared. Right? We're not trying to be flawless. We are trying to play fearless. And I thought that was for them when I gave that to them in September, October, going into the season. And God has brought that phrase into my heart. Uh, as, as many of you know, um, I had a stroke unexpectedly in November out of nowhere. Um, and God has just continued to bring my own phrase for my team back to my own life. Nothing to do with sports off the court. Right? I'm not going to be flawless Right? And there's still, even though I know better and I'm preaching this message, there's still a part of me on Easter Sunday just wanting things to go just right and perfect and flawless. And that's not what God has called us to. If you're looking for a flawless church, man, you might as well go on now. Right? That ain't us. We're not trying to be flawless, but we are trying to live fearlessly. Amen. Why? How can we do that? Because of Jesus, because of what he accomplished for us. He won the victory. That gives us a fearlessness. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm working on this. I've struggled with fear in my life since I had the stroke in November on levels that I've never known before the last five months. Right? Not that I've never been scared, but it's just been a different walk and a different journey. And he keeps bringing back this phrase. 
I'm not trying to, you're going to have some rough patches. I'm not calling you to be flawless, but you can live fearlessly. How? Through Jesus and what he accomplished with us, for us. That way the pressure is off this morning. This Easter Sunday, the pressure's off. The pressure's on Jesus, right? He won on our behalf. That way we get to choose not just between Jesus or being better. We get to choose between obedience or enjoyment. Now, obedience is good. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. So we're pro-obedience here. But sometimes it's two different lives. Some of you grew up in a system where I've got to obey. If I don't obey, then, then God hangs his head at me, right? And then when I talk about enjoying a relationship with God, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. How, how they don't know, you don't know enjoyment because there's not that true joy in relationship. The pressure is still on you the way you're living instead of on him, right? And here's the crazy thing that I didn't know when I was a young man as a young Christian. I didn't know that the best path to obedience is enjoyment. The more I learn to enjoy my relationship with God through Jesus, the more desire I have to obey, right? The more intimate, close relationship I get with the Father. Enjoyment is the path to obedience. He took the pressure off, right? We're not trying to be flawless. We're trying to be fearless. He is a relentless God. We named our church that not because we're relentless, we want to be, but because he is. He just keeps coming. Every Easter, every Christmas, every Sunday, every day of the year, he just keeps pursuing you with his grace, with his truth, with his gospel. Today is a part of that. You're here. Some of you didn't plan on being here. You're here because God is in pursuit of your heart and your life. He's coming, and he just keeps coming. It's one or two, right? Two is bigger than one, so we like two better than one. It's not about one day, meaning, oh, I better, I better make a commitment to Jesus so one day when this life is over, I'll be okay. It's not about one day. It's about two day, right? It's about the here and now, right? You like that? You like that? <laughs> What do we sing? We didn't sing. We didn't sing. He was alive. That'd be a bad chorus. He was alive. I won't sing. We sing. He is alive, right? It's not what he did. We're not just hanging our hat on something and and just it happened and it's over. No, he continues to be alive. He is alive and he wants to affect your life on this planet, on this earth. You're here and now everything you're walking through, right? So Paul, let's go back to that first Corinthians 15. He continues just to unload the gospel. Then verse 13, he says, Something crazy. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So evidently, there's some people in this city of Corinth that are kind of spreading like, hey, nobody raises from the dead. When you die, we're just done. It's this life, and that's all there is. So Paul's like, that's against the gospel. And if there's nobody raises from the dead, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And then he says, our preaching, I don't know why he's got to say that. Our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. That's, that's brutal. All right, and then he goes on to say, because, our, because it's the whole resurrection story is built on them being witness. He said, if that's true, then we're liars. Because we're the one telling everybody that he rose from the dead. Remember in the verses I read before? Excuse me. Remember he said that Jesus appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. He appeared to different groups at different times, but over 500 brothers and sisters, some who are still alive. Why did he say that? Because they were tra- telling people, no, Jesus, this, he proved he was the son of God by raising from the dead. And you can go to talk to Uncle Momo, and he saw it. He's like, Momo, did you see Jesus after he died? Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. You could go talk to people that saw it with their own eyes. Right, so he said, if nobody, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're all liars because we're the ones telling people um, that, he, that he rose. A few verses later, verse 17, he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What's that word futile mean? It's not a word we use a whole lot. Futile means pointless. There's no point to your faith if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. 
You're like, well, yeah, it is, because it makes me feel better. No, it's, it's, it's pointless. And you're still in your sins, right? We've got to connect sin and death, right? I thought Jesus died for our sins. What does the raise it? Like, if he just died for our sins and didn't raise from the dead, then he didn't accomplish anything as far as our sins go. We're justified before God through his resurrection. He validated his death for our sins by raising from the dead. If he only died for our sins and didn't have the power to defeat death, the wages of the result of sin is death. It's a two-headed monster. You can't just attack sin. If you don't defeat death, then we're still in our sins. There's no forgiveness. There's no freedom. All right? And Paul just keeps going. A few verses later, he takes it up another notch. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? Who do you think is like the most pitiful group of people on the planet? Think like Cleveland Browns fans. <laughs> That's like pitiful, you know, people that, whatever. You, you could have all kinds of different people like, man, I just feel for them, right? It's not, all right? That was a cheap shot. I apologize. We got some of this. All right, it's, it's not. According to scripture, Paul said, you know who the most pitiful group of people is? It's Christians if there is no resurrection, right? If we're, if, and so, there's so much garbage out there that Christians and preachers will say sometimes, they'll try to convince people to come to Christ by saying this, don't ever say this. Hey, to a, to a person who's not a follower of Jesus, hey, if I'm right and you're wrong, you're in trouble. But if you're right and I'm wrong, I still get to live a good, kind life. No, Paul says, no, you're wasting your life. You're the most pitiful creature ever. If we're living for this hope in Jesus and it only matters in this life and then we die and there's nothing, right? The Christians are the biggest waste of lives in history of the world. It's us. And then he talks and talks and then he takes it to a whole nother level in verse 32. He said, hey, if the dead aren't raised, Paul says, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he's not talking about apple juice, right? He's saying, he's talking about all that he's sacrificing and living his life because of what is gonna come because Jesus rose from the dead. But he said, hey, if nobody raises from the dead, if the end of this life is really the end, then what does anything matter? Let's party. That's, you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Paul's like, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then what are we wasting? Like, let's go. Let's just, it, nothing matters, right? Everything is random. Everything is just selfish and consumption. Just do you and have fun and go crazy because nothing else matters if the dead are not raised. But we celebrate today that they are. And he spends the rest of this chapter, and it's not as it's on the screen because it's so many verses Paul spends the rest of this chapter breaking down two kinds of bodies, right? He breaks down. There is the earthly body that we see. We all are flesh and blood, and it's got an expiration date on it. None of you are exempt from that. All of us have an expiration date, right? Kind of be cool if our, our, our expiration date was on our forehead, and we just like, oh, man, you, got, you don't have long, man. So we don't, we don't get that, right? We don't know. But we know that's true, right? We all know we're, 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 we're getting older, not younger. So Paul says there's the earthly body and it will expire and give out at some point. And then there's the heavenly body. And these are completely different kinds of, of bodies. Jesus was raised in his heavenly body. We saw him walking through walls and doing crazy stuff. And, and the seed, the, the, the earthly body has to die. When something dies, a seed is planted. It eventually grows into this heavenly body. And the difference is this, this earthly body dies, this heavenly body doesn't. One is perishable, one is imperishable. One is mortal, one is immortal. And one day the mortal will be swallowed up by immortal. You'll get a new body if you're in Christ. This body will not age, it will not get sick, all right? it's, and it will never, ever end. That's the body that is to come, and that's how we, we know that because Jesus raised from the dead. And he kind of concludes this whole section, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. 
when the perishable, that that dies, has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Then Paul starts talking a little trash. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so death is always one. Up until Jesus, everybody died, right? And it was, death was a taunter. It always kind of hung over us. No matter how good you live, no matter who you think you are, eventually you're going to come to an end. And everybody that died in the history of the world stayed dead. And now because of Jesus, where is your victory, death? Where is your sting? Because the sin, sin causes death, right? So we sinned. And when once sin came to the world, then death was coming. So the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, meaning the law is perfect. The law gives us the bar of perfection. And anybody who falls short of perfection um, because of their sin dies. So, so the law and sin has been so victorious because it knew once we sin, death is coming and there's no way to avoid it. And Jesus came and said, watch this. Right, I'm going to take out sin and death in one weekend. Right? And he defeated it. Now we receive the victory that he won through Jesus. Now sin and death can't touch me. Have I sinned? Yes, I have. Will I die? Yes, I will. Will it be the end of me? No, it will not. Right? Because death has been defeated. It's been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. We all get in on the victory that he won for us. I'm so sure of this, church. I'm so sure that this is true. What happened to Jesus when he was fully alive that will happen to me and you that are in Christ. Why am I so sure? Let me give you four reasons that make me super confident. And there could be a longer list, but I just want to give some of you some faith today. One, everything changed when Jesus rose from the dead. Everything in history, right? If, if you look at it just on paper logically, this movement, this multi-ethnic movement had no chance. How do you start a movement with a couple hundred people, which is all there were at first, in, in Jerusalem, their leader died the most brutal, hor brutal, horrible death you can imagine. Now they have no leader. They have no money. They have nobody on the inside in the government. They have no military. They can't fight, right? They, they just, there's no chance that could become a global movement that exists and dominates 2,000 years later. You know, uh, six, eight, 10, 12 hours ago, there was millions of Christians in Asia in Africa, in Europe, celebrating the same risen king that we're celebrating here today, right? And even a few hours from now, our West Coast friends, like it, how could that come from a bunch of ragtag outcasts, nobodies who had uh, no great degrees, no authority, no military? How could everything changed in the history of the calendar when Jesus, that really gives me confidence that this is true. Second, the details of the gospel accounts. We've been reading some of those, all right? Some people say, some people say that the disciples made this up. They made it up. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. They just made it up. That doesn't make any sense. If I'm going to make something up, like somebody came back to life and he really didn't, what I'm not going to do is write the, into the story how faithless I was. I'm not going to let you know that I didn't believe it, right? Because all through, there's no, when he died, there's no hint that they were expecting, even though he told them I'm coming back, they were so like overcome with the, the grief of him dying that they... They were surprised. Even though I'm told you I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again, they were surprised. It doesn't make sense unless that's what happened. You know what else? The other detail I always talk about, if you're going to try to get the first century to believe that somebody rose from the dead, here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to let him appear for the very first time to women, right? The, who's the first eyewitness of the resurrection? Women. In that culture, in that century, women, women didn't have the status to even be believed in a testimony in a court. 
right? There's no way you put that detail in there unless it's true, right? And there's so many of those kind of details that just, if you're trying to convince somebody of a lie, you just got to do it a lot smarter than that. But the only way things make sense is if they were just giving us what actually happened. Third, this really builds my faith that the death of the Jesus followers, right? The way they died, right? We see in scripture after Jesus goes to heaven, the authorities there in Jerusalem, the same people that killed Jesus arrest the disciples and say, listen, we're going to let you go unless you keep talking about Jesus. Promise to quit talking about Jesus and we'll let you go. If not, you know, you're going to end up just like he did. And they're like, that's all you got is threaten us with death? We don't, we're not scared of death because we know that's not the end. How were they so confident? Because they saw a dead man alive and they knew that promise was for them. So like, you threaten us with death, you got to come up with something better than that. We have that from scripture. Then historically, almost all the disciples died deaths where we know they were told, you renounce. If you'll quit saying that he rose from the dead, we'll let you live. If you don't renounce it, we're going to kill you. And all of them, all of them said, bring it. And they all died really Almost all of them died really hard deaths. You, you just don't die for something that's a lie or that you made up. It doesn't make any sense. They found a truth that was worth dying for. Right? Have you found a truth that's worth dying for or even worth living for? They did, and that really encourages my faith. And the fourth, and this is probably the most important on my list, is, is the reality of Jesus in everyday life. Right? If, we just, if all I got today is what happened 2,000 years ago, that's great, and it's true, but if there's no reality among a multi-ethnic church in 2023, if there's no reality of this risen Jesus that we just said is king and we sang, if there's no reality, like he, Jesus is going to break through for us and all that stuff that we sang and all my hope is in the name of Jesus. If there's no reality, if that doesn't change families and marriages and lives today, then what good is it? But I've seen it over and over, the reality of Jesus present day in my life, in your life, in the life of our church. You know, he said um, that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit is part of why he died, rose again, and then left, right? This is the miracle of Christ in us. Scripture says, it, it, some of you think God just is just, just faith, just believe that it happened. No, study it, investigate it, and as you commit your life to him, he'll give you the spirit. He says that's a deposit, right? If I tell you I'm going to give you 10 grand, you're like, no, you're not. So like, yeah, I'm, let me go ahead and give you 1,000 today just so you know I'm good for the rest of it, right? God said, I'm going to give you a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Like Jesus, just as he came and died, he'll come again, and I'm gonna give you a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What is that deposit? It is the spirit of Christ living in us. That's how we know the reality of Jesus who is risen living through us, how we treat people, how we treat our community, how we pray, how we come together in unity as a church, how we love people, all kinds of people that are different than us, whatever. All of that is an outflow of Jesus living through us. It's Christ in us. The reality of Jesus changing lives in this room is how I know this Jesus is real and he is alive. It's not that he was risen or he was alive, it's that he is. If he wasn't alive, he couldn't be doing in your lives what I see him doing in your lives day after day after day. It's beautiful and it's powerful. And that's what gives us hope, right? It's a, it's a Sunday of hope, like every Sunday, I hope. Um, the Jesus who raised from the dead can now show up in your life, in your real everyday life, in your struggles, in your doubts, in your disease, in your divorce. The Jesus that rose from the dead can now show up in your life. And we sang it, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And he shows up in our brokenness, right? And there's plenty of brokenness, right? We're, we're broken people, um, 
I've, I've shared with you, uh, just, just so you know, because um, some of you have been praying so well for me in my recovery, and I thank you for that. I need you to know that um, physically, um, mentally, that I, we're going the right direction. Um, anxiety has been my biggest struggle coming from, out of the stroke, right? Which I didn't see that coming. I've never really struggled with anxiety. It's been my biggest struggle. So I'm nowhere near normal, whatever normal is or feels like. I'm not there. I don't feel like I'm close. But physically, I'm way better than I was a, f- a couple months ago. Praise God, right? Yeah. But because there's hope in this Jesus for the everyday stuff, I want you guys to help me name this series. So we're going to start a series next week, and we're going to talk about anxiety, right? Something I feel like is really important for the church to talk about. And I could have preached about it two years ago, and I'd have preached really ignorantly, all right, because I, I could preach from experience now. So help me name that series, because we want to do a lot online and social media, and some of our people think a one word is more catchy, because we want you to get, because a lot of people in your life that struggle with anxiety. So which do you like better, all right? A beast called anxiety, or just simply the word anxious? A beast called anxiety, we're going to vote. We're going to, you guys are going to name the series, unless you disagree with 11 o'clock. All right, so those are your two choices. So raise your hand if you like. A beast called anxiety is a better name for the series. All right, hands down. If you just like the simple word anxious better, raise your hand. Why are you laughing? Because you've, Joy, Joy, Joy liked anxious. All right, hands down. All right, Joy. Joy, you win, Joy. Fine. Listen, that's just what I've been walking through. I don't know what you've been walking through, but if, if, if what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago, if it doesn't matter in our battle with anxiety, then what good is it? Right? It does. Whatever, and you can fill in the blank. It may not be anxiety for you. We could put a whole bunch of words in there. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're struggling with, there's a Jesus that beat death that can handle it. Yeah. Right? He can handle it. Death didn't, didn't scare him. It didn't make God nervous. I hope Jesus gets up. I hope he gets up. He's like, no, we got death. We got, and because he has death, there's nothing that we got to wonder. Can he handle this? Right? And I'll, I'll be real with you. There's been there's been on the hardest days, and overall this isn't my story, but on the hardest days of my walk for the last five months, you know what I felt slipping away? It's hope. I felt the enemy, like if, if he's going to come for anything, if he can get us to a place of hopelessness in whatever we're walking, like there's no, like that, we got to hoard, you know the show Hoarders? We got to hoard hope. We got to go get hope. We got to stack it and stack it and hold tight to it and gain it from each other. Hope is everything. I've told you this verse has probably been more than anything in my walk the last five months, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It's, it's talking about the gospel and Jesus doing all he's done for us. We're justified. We're right with God through peace, through what Jesus did. And then it says, and we rejoice even in suffering. What? How do you rejoice in suffering? Because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character leads to hope and hope does not put us to shame what's that talking about hope is it, is it even is a reference to an old testament verse hope is poured into our hearts through the holy spirit hope will not put us to shame I mean you won't put all your hope out there and then regret it and there's confidence in that hope this this week um, i always think about my dad um, my kids know him as pop because um, uh, master's week and if you're watching golf and um, like some of us do this week of the year. And it was just one of the best memories I have of my dad. We got to go to the Masters um, together, me, my brother, and my dad. My dad was diagnosed in 2010. So 2011, we had uh, some friends that did an amazing thing to let us go to the Masters. And uh, my dad loved golf probably more than any human should love a sport. 
Um, and, and we just went and had that experience. So I won't tell you that whole story, but I just think about him on this week. And, and this week I was thinking about his death. Um, so in 2012, he was in hospice. And just you guys know how hard that is. Me and my brother were taking turns, spend the night with him. And it was my turn to spend the night. So I went there, hung out with him, slept on the couch. The next day, I just never remember dad looking at me and saying, what am I doing wrong? Like, what, do you, what do you mean, what are you doing wrong? And what he meant by that was, why am I still here? He was ready to die. Not because he didn't love my mom, he did. Not because he didn't love us and love his grandkids. He did so much. He just had, and he, did, he didn't have a relationship. He had religion. Until his 30s, he, did, he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. But, but then for the last 25 years of his life, he grew in his relationship with Jesus. And he was so sure of the hope of resurrection. He just was ready to be done with this life and to meet Jesus. And he could smell it and taste it. And he was genuinely excited. And he died, I know it sounds weird to say, he died a beautiful death that was inspiring and encouraging. And the message of the gospel that we're given today, it's not just about your deathbed. It's about life and struggles and the everyday. It's about today, not just about one day. I want you to hold on to hope like it matters more than we can imagine. That's been my walk. Like when hope starts to drain, like if I'm losing hope, I got to pray. I got to ask some of you to pray for me because there's nothing. You cannot lose hope in this life. It will not put you to shame. You can count on it. I'm a, one of the things that dad handed down to me was a, being a University of North Carolina Tar Heel fan. He went there for college, met my mom there. Um, so they raised me as a Tar Heel. So if you know basketball, we had a great year last year, great run, lost in the championship. We had everybody back, four out of five starters. We were preseason number one. So we were feeling it, right? There was hope. Like, here we come. Oh, y'all don't, we're going to run it back. We got everybody coming back. Here we come. We were preseason number one. They just crowned UConn national champion last week. If you noticed, we weren't even in the tournament. You know what that is? That's shame, right? The more we talked and believed six, seven months ago, oh, we got everybody, y'all are in trouble. Here we come. That's our hope. But that hope turned into shame because we didn't even make the tournament. You know, like in sports, you, the more you talk, the more sometimes, right? There's, there's, two, um, there's two main schools that people cheer for around here, if you didn't know it, University of North Carolina and NC State. That's all there is. Um, <laughs> So I talked, to, I talked to some of my NC State friends this week just to see if they would say what I thought they would, and they did. And I said, hey, how much hope do you have for the future of NC State in the coming season? You know what they did? They either, said, they either laughed or they said none, right? And if you know NC State fans, I'm not trying to start a fight on Easter. If you know NC State fans, they just, they, their answer would be, why would we have hope? If you'd lived through what we've lived through the last 30 years, you wouldn't have hope either. What they're saying is they hesitate to hope because every time they get their hopes up, they get crushed. They don't want to experience that shame of, okay, I'm going to say I've got hope. I believe here we come. And then that, that emotion of, oh, I was counting on that. Nobody wants that, right? And I think there's somebody in the room that hesitates, not with sports, but with Jesus. You don't want to put your hope because I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be let down. What if he doesn't come through for me? Y'all, he got out of the grave. He can handle your life. There's only one way to live this life, and that is with all your hope in Jesus. Your hope will not be put to shame. There'll be never be a day where you're like, but I thought when we die, like when you leave this earth or in this earth or in the struggles of this life, the more you put your hope in Jesus, you will never be put to shame. That's a beautiful promise that we stand on. And Paul ended that whole crazy chapter that we looked at. If there's no risen from the dead and all that, here's how he ended it. Verse uh, 
58 of chapter 15. It says, therefore, because of all this, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What we're doing here, this move is not meaningless. It matters. Stand firm. Don't lose hope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to worship because it's, we worship a risen Lord that is enough. Whatever you got going in your life, he's enough for you today. And there's some of you that have already planned and, and made a commitment to be baptized. So as soon as they start singing this song, I want you to go get changed. And then we're going to meet you back here. I'll meet you at the back of the room. If there's somebody in the room that did not plan to be baptized today, you're like, well, I kind of I feel like, I, what, what does that mean? It means you're committing your life to Jesus. If you want to do that, you can do that. Like, well, I didn't bring any clothes. We got clothes for you. We got towels. We got undergarments. We've done this, right? We're ready for you. If today is your day to come home to Jesus, meet me in the back as soon as this song starts. All right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for the victory that is in Jesus. Thank you that you're enough, that you did everything that had to be done, that you tackled sin, death, and hell all in one weekend, and that you came out on top, that you validated all your words and all your claims by defeating death. God, for those that are going to be baptized, we just pray that we would be a church that surrounds them and loves them well. God, if there's one in this room that didn't plan on being baptized, God, would you speak to their heart through your spirit and through your power like only you can? Would you let them know today is their day and would you give them confidence and boldness to walk to the back of the room so we can see this new life come alive today? God, would you work in this room? We give it to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Meet me in the back if today's your day.